Lord, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for your grace and your provision to us. We thank you that you watch over us, that you make it rain, that you make the sun shine on us, that you bring us harvest, that you bring us food, um, that you bring us together, and that you are working actively to bring in the harvest that you promise of a people redeemed to yourself through Christ, building us into one body. We pray that a little bit more of that happens this morning as you unify this group, as you work by your Spirit to draw us and knit us together, helping us to build each other up in love as you have um, instructed us to do in Ephesians. We pray that that happens through the ministry of your Word this morning, both in this class and then also with Philip um, and the main service. And that it also continues throughout the week as we live together in a community of those who are called by your name, looking forward to the day when Christ returns finally. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. We are, uh, what are the odds, in Leviticus. Leviticus 23. And last week, we began discussing the annual feasts of Israel. There were some... um, uh, calendaring issues that they dealt with in Leviticus and, and the seven feasts that they had and that they were to celebrate, uh, God gives the time frame for each of those. And we found that of those seven, four were in the first half of the year and there were three in the last half of the year. And last week we began with his discussion of the Sabbath day, which was the weekly recurring day of rest. And then uh, we went over the four annual feasts at the beginning of the year, which were, what, what were they? Do you remember? Those who were Passover, yeah. I, I took the first part of that. Not yet. First fruits, yes. Then Feast of Weeks. So we got Passover, and along with that was a Feast of Unleavened Bread, right? We talked about Passover being the idea of remembering at the very beginning of the year God's redemption, His, his work in Exodus to bring the people out of a land of slavery, um, and then the leavened bread feast, the unleavened bread, uh, feast of unleavened bread, was a, was a, a, also a um, remembrance of how they left Egypt quickly, um, that they were um, uh, depending totally upon his provision. It was an, it was an out of the ordinary kind of thing, um, and then. You had the Feast of First Fruits where the harvest is starting to come in. They're getting a couple of things in, and that's the very first time that they, they, that they see the crop starting to come in. They, they celebrate that by giving that to God. And then you have this, um, this spring uh, Feast of Weeks, or what we know as Pentecost, um, where the harvest is happening, the spring harvest is happening, and then they bring that to God as well as a big celebration. So that's the first part of the year, March to June. Kind of as a time frame that we would associate with our calendar. Then you have the second half of the year where there are three feasts all in the same month. All in the same month. And they are <clears throat> the Feast of the Trumpets, which isn't an odd thing. Uh, and then the, the, the Day of Atonement, which we've discussed in chapter 16. And then, as uh, Grant talked about, the Feast of Booths. Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Feast of Booths. And all of them are in the same month. And, and, and it's interesting, they're all in the seventh month. So the seventh month is a very uh, significant month for Israel. And if you're going to do things, do them at seven. If you want a complete package, like seven dozen eggs, 
Um, it's a complete package. And it is a very holy month for them because basically the entire month they're celebrating and feasting together communally um, uh, about God and what He's done and, and what He's going to do. Um, it, it might have also served, having it all in the seventh month, um, as a reminder, another reminder of the Sabbath principle that, that we see repeated again and again and again, this, seven, this series of sevens, the Sabbath principle and the covenant that's behind the Sabbath. So let's begin by looking at the day of trumpet blasts. We're in Leviticus 23. We're starting in uh, verse 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. All right? That, that phrase, a memorial pro- proclaimed, could also uh, be translated a reminder proclaimed. So, when the Bible speaks of the Lord remembering, the Lord remembered the Israel and heard their cry, what, what do we generally see happening when it says the Lord remembers? What, what, what's sure to follow? Covenant fulfilled, covenant faithfulness, His blessing, His favor on the people. When it talks about the people remembering what's going on, what are they doing? They're, they're trusting in, asking for His, his favor his blessing, his, uh, his faithfulness to, to remain. And that's kind of what you see here. This trumpet blast stuff uh, usually shows an acknowledgement and request for the Lord's help either in war or in worship. That's where we see the, the trumpets happening. Either there's a war that's going to be going on or there's a call to worship. And, uh, and the trumpet blast is a sign of that. Um, some, some have called this feast of trumpets, this trumpet blast aspect of it, uh, kind of a musical prayer. God commands them to remember His faithfulness. He commands them to be thankful for His provision. We've already gone through some feasts of provision earlier in the year. He commands them to, to do this. If He's commanding them to do it, no words, trumpet blast. Is he going to hear it? You do it, and I'll just hang out over here. No, he's going to hear that, right? This is something he commands to be done, and it's music, and it's odd for us Reformed folks to think this way, because there aren't words to this. There aren't words to this. How can... There's no content. This is empty. This is... No. It's a musical prayer that God commands. All right. The date marks the end of one agricultural year and the beginning of the next one. Um, incidentally, this is strange to me, and I haven't figured out why this is. I, 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 didn't, I, I came up empty on my research on this. But at some point in time, at least by the 4th century B.C., this day became their new year. 
we've seen before in the, in the passage, uh, in, earlier in chapter 23, that the Passover was the beginning of the year for them. But here, uh, later on in time, the 4th century at least, and certainly by the time of Christ, this was their new year. The Feast of Trumpets was their new year. Um, and today, uh, it's known as Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah? Say it again. Rosh Hashanah. That is, uh, that's their new year. And it's still celebrated. And generally, when you hear it being celebrated, you, you hear of, uh, especially in any uh, charismatic church that you may attend, they love doing this. They like bring out the ram's horn that you can buy at Lifeway. <laughs> and act like it's an authentic, magical printed. And everyone goes, oh, that's, yeah, that's wonderful. It, there are indications that it wasn't a ram's horn. There are indications, in fact, that the original use of this trumpet blast was silver horns, silver trumpets, right? The sound of silver calling home to, anyway, Condor. Um, there, there were silver trumpets involved, uh, some argue, but, um, but Lifeway sells uh, ram's horns. So we go, we go with that. If you're Jewish, you go to Lifeway to get your ram horn. All right, so um, I... I I, uh, I, I really do think that sometimes when I see these kind of things with the, the, that, that the charismatic church should really read Hebrews more. Shadow, fulfillment. Shad- instead of dwelling so much in the shadow. Um, but nevertheless, it's, it's, it's good for sales. So, um, An interesting point to me is this idea of musical prayer. Does that bother you? Reform types. Does that bother you? Over or non-musical types. Here's here's my just take it or leave it. This is Kevin, uh, for what it's worth. Uh, there is a sense in which I think we shun arts in our community. Not everybody, but I think a lot of times we do. We above all people who are um, convinced of, given to. Uh, the idea that God is sovereign in all things, that He's creator, and that we bear His image as, as, as His creations to create. I, we should be the most creative people on the planet. Right? No? Yes? Yeah. I, I think we should be because that's Him. And we reflect Him. Um, it, it's... It's one of those communicable attributes. Peter, Philip, talked last week about about the communicable attribute of God of God's love and how He has shared that with us, and we're to grow in that. Being creative is, you know, not one of the great you know things that we we hammer on, but it's there. Being not that we create out of nothing. We're not you know faith healers, but. There is this idea of taking something raw and making it into something beautiful. And that takes on a lot of different forms. Um, there's music, obviously here we see that. Um, there's uh, writing, there's uh, sewing and, and, um, and uh, woodworking. And, and of course, if, you, if you're a smithy, you do metal smithing. Anyone here by means of a smithy? Um, so you, you have a lot of avenues to do creative work. And I think we all should be engaged in some element of it. And it doesn't mean you make your living off of it. But I think we all should be engaged in some part of it. One of the best ways, and this is 
This is free. One of the best ways to do this is just to journal. You don't have to show anybody. Just write. What it, and, and, and try to find the most creative language you can to express what is God doing in me? Where am I struggling? What's growing? What, what's not growing? And, 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 and just, or just, hey, I saw a leaf today that was really cool and just go off on that for a while. I don't know. <laughs> but but we, should be, we should be about tapping into being, uh, the, the creative element of, of God because it's in us. It, we're, we're made in His image. We should be about that. And there are other ways. Um, Creative accounting out here is really, really good. Um, uh, blues guitar also very healthy for the soul. Anyway, all right, let's look at Day of Atonement, verse 26. Verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now on the tenth day of this seventh month is the Day of Atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves... And present a food offering to the Lord, and you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is a day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. And whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall not do any work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict yourselves on the ninth day of the month, beginning at evening, from evening to evening shall you keep your Sabbath. And remember, the evening to evening, for them, that was, that was day. The day began at the evening, so that, that's a, a full day. What's the requirement for the people here? What are they to do? Rest. They're to rest, so do no work, right? We can, what's the other thing? The food offering gathered together. Okay, there's present a food offering. Afflict themselves. Be afflicted. Now, the ESV translates it as be afflicted. Uh, Another possible uh, way to look at this word is uh, to humble yourself. Right? Uh, Some translate it uh, to fast. fast, Because it's obviously the, the, the most direct way to humbling is to not eat. Because then it all comes out who you are because you're starving. But it's a, to humble yourself, um, certainly there's that outward expression of, of humbling through fasting, possibly. But the, the issue is the heart, right? What's this day about? Why are we having this day? Harking back to chapter 16, low those many moons ago. What, what is this day about? It's in the name. It's what? Sorry. Loud loud and proud? What? Atonement. What is atonement? Come on, Baptist. What is it? At one minute. God, God providing for his people a means by which they are atoned for their sins and impurities, right? We have this ritual purity that goes on in Levitical law, and we have the moral impurity that, that is mirrored by the ritual uh, impurity. And uh, at one minute, atonement happens on this day to cover all of it. It's a, it's a complete, uh, it's in the seventh month, so it's got to be complete. It's a complete atonement for all of that. It covers everything. And he calls for them in order, they're to rest, so whose work is the atonement? God's. It's God's work. It's not their work. And they're to receive it How? 
I deserve this. I, that, this is God's job to atone for me. How are they to receive this? Afflicted. Humbly. Uh, I'm not worthy of this. And He's provided this for me. Right? And it's a whole day devoted to the idea of, um, of humble receiving of God's gracious gift of atonement. Um, all right. What did it say if a person did not observe this day? Cut off from his people. Cut off from his people. Why? What's, what's, what's the person not, not doing? Not being obedient. Not being Why do we need atonement in the first place? Because we're sinful, right? So if I'm not going to participate in the Day of Atonement, that's not for me. I like eating. I'm not going to afflict myself. What am I saying about my view of sin? It's not a big deal, right? Uh, I don't care about it. I'm not going to humble myself. And that's, um, in God's economy, a characteristic of someone who's not an Israelite. So they're cut off from their people. Um, Denying that the Lord had a holy hatred of sin or their desperate need for His cleansing and forgiveness, either way... They were rejecting their covenant Lord and their need for Him. So, He cuts them off. And, and we've talked about some of that is um, they're just cut off from the people sent out to the wilderness to go do their thing. Others, it's, it's stoning. So, they're, they're, both of those implications are here in the, in the language. What does observing this day proclaim? Obedience. Obedience, okay. To what? To whom? To God. Number one, to a God who hates sin, right? Hates it. Do, do we dwell on that enough? He hates it. And yet at the same time, he's incredibly gracious. He desires and longs for reconciliation with his people, he longs to be gracious and forgive and restore but not on our terms on his because he's God we're not and the requirement is humility you're God I'm not which is the basis of any sin sort of it's pride there's an argument pride Unbelief. I know Philip and I have gone around and around on that one but yes. but the issue is yes it's both um, <laughs> But it's fun to pick sides because that's we're arguing people, not creative apparently, but we're very arguing people. Um, so there, there's the issue of sin is I'm God, you're not, and this calls for a reversal of that trend, that um, that heart defect that we all have. Um, incidentally, by what name is this feast celebrated today? Do you know? Do you know? I'll give you a hint. The Hebrew word for day is Yom. Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. That's exactly right. Still celebrated today, although I don't know how they do it without a temple. <laughs> do they sacrifice? I, I don't know. I, no. How do you celebrate the Day of Atonement without a way of making atonement? The, the, the books, again, they're completely unrelated. Um, 
just throw that out there. All right, Festival of Booths. Let's look, verse 33. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of this seventh month, and for seven days is the Feast of Booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation for presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings, and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings, each on its proper day, besides the Lord's Sabbath, and besides your gifts, and besides all your vow offerings, and besides all your free will offerings which you give to the Lord. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast of the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths. That is your generations, uh, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord. All right. Uh, just incidentally, this is also known as the, fe- uh, the festival of ingathering because it came near the end of the harvest season in the fall. And it's a big deal festival for Israel. Big deal. Um, Josephus calls it the preeminent festival. What's the core um, response here? What, what, if you're looking for an emotional component to this feast, what would it be? Celebration. Celebration. Gratitude. Gratitude. There's a word that starts with an R, ends with rejoice. <laughs> <laughs> that was that's previous. We do no repenting. This is a time of celebration and re- uh, and rejoicing. What are they celebrating? God's faithfulness. Again, God's faithfulness, the provision of, of crops, festival of ingathering, there's that. Um, it's the 15th day of the seventh month. That's when it's celebrated. It's five days after the Day of Atonement. Curious. It lasts an entire week. And it lasts an entire week. There's a, a holy convocation. In fact, all these have a holy convocation. What was a holy convocation? Gathering. A gathering. So you're not to celebrate any of these alone. You're not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together to celebrate these alone. You know, These are to be done communally. Um, how, how long does it last? Seven days. And the eighth day, there's a closing assembly. Again, another holy convocation at the end. So from day two through seven, they're gathering. They're doing work. For the celebration again on the eighth day, um, what is given? 
It just says a food offering. And here's an invitation to uh, whenever we do numbers. <laughs> a lot of these feasts, there are really detailed expressions of what sacrifices they're to give, and they're in numbers. Doesn't really give a whole lot of detail here. Um, the other thing here is that all the males were required to celebrate it at the sanctuary, and that is an invitation to Deuteronomy, because that's where we learn that. Um, so the next two books give us even more information uh, and, and, uh, as we go on. But what is up with verses 37 and 38? Why is that there? That does not logically flow in my Western mind. Why he would do this inclusio, this ending of the section, right before he goes right back into the Feast of Booths. Why would that be there? What information do we learn about these feasts in relationship to other regular religious duties? Why is it there? As a reminder. A reminder of what? Don't neglect the day-to-day -day stuff that they're required to do, right? Just because a feast is going on, it doesn't mean that we suspend the other duties of regularly observing the Sabbath and, and other, and other uh, offerings that, that He's provided for them. They're not to replace the Sabbath gifts, vow offerings, or free will offerings with these feasts. And it's just stuck there in the middle. And then He picks up again with the Feast of Booths. I don't know the answer to the question. It's just not logical that it's there. I would think that it would be at the end of the passage, but it's there, and obviously it's important to be there at that, at that time. Um, verse 39 returns to the Festival of Booths, and what is he adding here? Who, who are these commands for? For whom are these commands? I'll, I'll go, no, I'm getting, no, scholar shaking his head, no. For Moses to relate to the people, who, who's to participate in this? Does it say? Only the native Israelite. Um, so only the people of uh, uh, Hebrew descent. Except that we also see in, in, in future books that Gentiles who have joined themselves to, to Israel and have undergone covenant um, identification also are included and are able to celebrate some of these feasts as well, which is an interesting thing. What are they to do? How are they to celebrate this? Seems like a big EPA issue here. They're dwelling in booths. Where do they get the booths from? A booth is like a tent. Another, it's also called, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, it's also called the Feast of Tabernacles, another, another way to... To do, you, you make tents for yourselves. You camp out for a week. You camp out for a week. If you're in, the, if you're a farmer, if you're an ag agrarian part of the country, then or agricultural part of the country, then then you live in the field for a week while you're gathering stuff in. But you're in a tent, right? You're in a booth that you build out of what? What does it say? Yes. By the time of Christ, this became a huge deal. Uh, if you were a city dweller, you went out and found palm tree branches and put made tents on top of your house, on your roof, and celebrated for a week, 
Kids, we're camping out on the roof this week. And that's how you did it. If you're out in the fields, you camped out in the fields in these leafy, green leafy kind of things. Um, and they cut a bunch of them and they made tents out of them. They were to cut and gather various greenery symbolizing abundance and fertility. And they also served the practical purpose of being the material by which they lived in temporary structures as they feasted on the harvest. Why were they doing this? What is this a picture of? When he brought them out of Egypt, what are they doing? They're in the wilderness. They're living in tents now. How odd to think of as I'm going through the wilderness now with Moses at the head and the cloud and here all this going on. Generations from now, when we do get to the land, our people will celebrate this time of God providing for us in this temporary exile. What kind of impression do you think that would have on the people who are actually going through the wanderings right now? What should it have had? <laughs> Let's put it that way, because we're going to go through numbers. What should it have had? It would make me think of that this is, this is purposeful. That this, you know, the people in the future are going to remember what we're doing today because right. it's, it's, getting, it's yeah. getting to that It's not point. headed nowhere. It, it's not headed nowhere. Temporary. It's temporary. It has purpose. And I would add to it, gosh, we better get this right. Yeah. We better get this right. Because people are going to look back on how we handled this moment, and they're going to celebrate it. And all the history of that 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 entails is going to be every year for seven days. So you're going to think about how we handled this moment, right? Completely unrelated. They were to remember and teach their descendants of the blessings of their redemption about bountiful provision they enjoyed. Uh, these were gracious gifts of their loving king, and the gifts called for an appropriate response, wholehearted dependence, obedience, and, and worship. And that's what he calls for. You can see that again and again in this. How many times? I mean, just count through there. He commands them to rejoice and celebrate. It's odd, though, isn't it? They're called to rejoice and celebrate in a condition where it's temporary, where they're not planted, not super comfortable. where they're in leaf tents. It's not comfortable. And yet they're to be thankful and they're to rejoice and they're to celebrate in this not yet time. Again, the Old Testament and New Testament completely unrelated. It's a publisher's thing for the cost. It's all, all that. Isn't this a picture? Aren't all of these a picture? It's eerie. And the chapter ends, again, highlighting Moses' obedience and his role as the Lord's spokesman. All right, so we see a, a call for God's favor... A day putting the people in the status to obtain his favor and a day to celebrate his favor while living like a wanderer. And, and we noted last week that the festivals were a community celebration, not in isolation. Three of, the fe- three of these festivals, three of the seven, were, um, were used by the church. They were, they were actually co-opted. Uh, can you guess what they are? Three of them. Don't say Christmas. We have 
in the church a celebration called Good Friday, which is on Passover. Right? We have in the church a celebration called Easter, which is the, fest, the Feast of the First Fruits. And we have in the church a celebration called Pentecost, which is the Feast of Weeks. Um, and it's been noted, we said this last week, that the Hebrew calendar feast had a preparatory role anticipating what Jesus would accomplish. Like all the Old Testament sacrifices, they pointed to Him. And we see this in the Gospels. The feasts provide actually some great context for some things that go on. Um, the Passover, obviously, the, the, probably one of the, the better known ones. But by the time of Christ, this, this Feast of Booths became just a huge deal. Uh, there was a, uh, you know, they'd all cut down their branches, like we said. They'd, they'd live on their houses for a week. They'd do all this stuff. And the priests by that time um, had a, a, a kind of a processional thing that they would do every day. They would go and cut uh, leafy palm trees, palm branches, whatever, and march back up the steps to, uh, to the temple to go in the outer courtyard where the altar is and build a tent there around the altar. There's some Christology there, but we'll get to that another time. They build this tent around the altar. And then they would go and proceed to the, the pool of Siloam. They'd draw water and pour it down the steps of the, uh, of the temple. And they would say, they would chant, recite from Isaiah, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And they do that every day. And these processions symbolize God's deliverance of His people. This was going on for centuries before the time of Christ and at the time of Christ and turn to John 7. Look what happens here. Look at verse 2 of John 7. What time frame are we here? What are we in? Now the Jews' feast of the booze was at hand. Now look at verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. It's a feast of booths. We're at the end of the feast. This is the great big celebration on the eighth day. It's what John tells us. And Jesus stands up in the middle of Jerusalem and says, Thirsty? Come to me. Why would he say that? What context is he drawing from? He's drawing from these processions that the priests are doing where they draw from the well to, to pour out as a petition to God the water of your salvation the water of your salvation. And he says, I'm the water of your salvation. 
he makes it again, rightfully, about him, showing all of these things are foreshadowing him. What he has done, what he is doing, what he will do. Come to me, all who are thirsty. Is that just to unbelievers? What does John say this is about? This celebration of God's provision during our wandering, what does John say this is about? How does he provide? The The Holy Spirit. This is a call to you. Who would be thirsty but those called by the Spirit? I don't know about you, but I often feel very dry during this time of wandering. Do you? I don't always feel like I'm on a spiritual high all the time, you know. I I should eat more eggs. (laughs) It's easy to want to pull a John Boehner and try to be like those, to be liked by those in power, um, to go back to what's comfortable. We'll fail without the Holy Spirit's conviction of sin, without the Holy Spirit's encouragement in our weakness, without, without the Holy Spirit's boldness in the midst of our fear, we'll fail. I fear that sometimes we put our tent pegs in a little too deep in this world. And we don't celebrate that He is moving us from one place to another. The, the, the Feast of Booze is meant to be a call for us to live as those who are wandering in this between time, hoping in what is to come recognizing God's faithful provision, living as if this were not our home, having hope in His return and the promise of a home, and all this, and here's the kicker, all this while rejoicing. This is the will of God, your thankfulness, says in Thessalonians. Because there is promised a final feast of booths, There's promised a final one. Um, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. John again says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, not living under them, but waving them to the Lord. And crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. He's the water of our salvation. And there, at the completion of all things, we will celebrate our God, who has given us His rest, has given us His Son, has promised to provide for us, has provided for us abundantly, on whom we can depend, who has provided full and complete atonement for all our rebellion against Him, and now guides us and sanctifies us through this wandering time until that great day where we are with Him forever, celebrating and rejoicing in what is rather than what will be. That's, a, that's all the feasts. That's what they point to. Who God is, what He's doing, and what's to come. That should be a great encouragement to us.
And it's a great encouragement to us to live joyfully and thankfully and express that in how we treat one another. <laughs> thankful for the work of God in you as you're thankful for the work of God in me whenever you see it. Thankful. Again, last week we talked about that being such a fleeting thing, thankfulness. It's easy. Uh, um, John Piper talks about that, that we're like classes, glasses of, of clear water with a little sediment in the bottom. And when trials and things happen in our lives, it bumps us. And there goes the dirt. And we see all the junk right there. It's real easy to be unthankful. Real easy. But he's calling us to put things in perspective. This is where it's going. Uh, palm branches often symbolized victory. And the picture that John gives us at the throne is that we're waving the victory banner, the victory leafy green at the throne in thankfulness. Anyway, those are my thoughts on it. What are yours? Any, any comments that you have? I'm just thinking that branches, <coughs> we have goats. Mm. We cut branches and they wilt really fast. I mean, so it's a really good picture then mm. of the temporary mm-hmm. And yet, it seems like he's calling us to rejoice in the temporary while keeping our eye on the eternal. Mm-hmm. And that the temporary, it doesn't mean that it's meaningless. There is joy to be had moment to moment in the small things of life. Yeah. As well. Tammy and I were lamenting over our bad memories. <laughs> and. Um, one of the things that she found in searching how to remember things uh, gooder is, um, is that if you attach an event to an emotion, if you, ha- if, you, if you live in the moment and you attach it to emotion, you're much more like, I mean, you remember a wedding. Think about the things you remember well. Right. They all have either a good or bad right. emotion attached so, to them. But if we're kind of numb... If we're just living and getting things done and not and and, fl- and flying through life without being thankful for the moment that we're living in, we forget and it's hard to remember. Which is what we see in the Old Testament again and again and again and again. Remember, it's hard to remember when we're just rocking along, not paying attention. But being thankful for this moment at this time, right now, um, we can remember it. Easier said than done. Any any other comments? Yeah. You know, you see how healthy it is to have. I mean, obviously, God ordained to have remembrances throughout different holidays and stuff. And obviously, we've adopted three of the seven <clears throat> church. But um, I wonder how. I wonder what is a good way in our personal lives to remember. Because you you journal, mm-hmm. and I'm a terrible journaler. I don't mm-hmm. journal. But then you have to like read back through all the googly guys. It's almost like you could, you wish you could just throw out all the mundane stuff. But I wonder if what kind of good way there is to remember the things that God has has done in our own lives. Hmm. I wonder if there wouldn't be like a good, Facebook, like a, <laughs> like a scrapbook. Or can something. we can we not say Facebook? <laughs> every year I get the four. Every day I get a four. Four years ago you did this. For a couple of years, uh, I just wanted to map out big events, good and bad, and just see where God took me. So I did use Facebook and social media, and I see? tracked, and I, I made a timeline of my 
um, sketchbook and I mapped out all the good and bad events, you know, up and down on my timeline. And I've never learned so much about myself until then because, yeah. you know, you forget you forget what goes on. And, and, and it was weird to me as I marked out my memories and just looking at pictures and it jogged my memory about when such and such was going on. You know, when we pulled that massive prank on everybody, this is what was going on <laughs> in our in our lives. And there's hope for more of those, by the way. I oh. I see I see no future. More flags. Not today. No more flags. The prank of booths, we'll call it. <laughs> anyway, that was. Uh, I'm not great at journaling either, and mm. a lot of times when you're going through a rough patch, you don't want to journal and catalog all the horrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when you're really happy, you're just too busy being happy to think, oh, I should really, you know, log this down. Yeah. But, you know, every so often, um, it's really helpful to to jot down the things that God brought you through for, you know, and how you how you came through it. Good mm-hmm. or bad, what would you mm-hmm. do differently? Yeah. And that was really helpful. Um, and Beth Longer kind of helps me with this, but when if like a awesome event happened and you were super thankful like she said but you didn't really take time to journal it just a word maybe that is connected with that and how i think uh, how you felt about it how you were thankful like for example um when my parents my oh hashtag my parents um got to keep their house and their land because they thought it was going to get taken away because of financial reasons and the Lord just provided out of nowhere. And I think of our home and our property as an Ebenezer. And so that was my word. And so I just think of how God, that was just something that he did for us that he didn't have to do. And so when I see, when I go to visit my parents now, I just remember that and how thankful we're and how real his provision was to us in that time. We were so thankful. It was obviously the Lord, but, you know, time is going to go on and we're going to continue to enjoy the house and the property, but I don't want to forget. So that word helps. It's kind of like a rock in my memory about that event, I guess. Yeah. So maybe connect words with it or something. Can I do Um, I do. I've done it for several years now. At the end of every day, I write down something I'm thankful for, mm-hmm. which isn't always easy. Because <laughs> uh, a lot of times it's just the mundane stuff. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, what happened today? And it's just a time of reflection of what... God has done in my life throughout the day, even mm-hmm. though I may not see clearly His mm-hmm. hand on what is going on. But that's a like it's it's a one-liner, and every day is just one line, you know, 140 characters or something like that. Um, so you do a, like a, a written Twitter account, basically. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that is a whole lot easier to go through than to journal because I've tried journaling too, and mm. I have times of you know good times when I'm journaling, and other times when I don't want to journal. Right. All, right. Just, Having that See, Tammy's an overachiever, and so what she tries to do is journal all of the kids' specific events, and then her own. And so she has like 17 million things that she's got that she has to do every night. To I have a journal for each of the kids, and then one for myself. But honestly, there are months in between journal entries, yeah. so it's not it's not a perfect system but they like to go back and go oh wow i didn't realize i was really sick as a baby and i didn't realize you know and they 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 see those things those are all good ideas but i just remember that we have a church service to go to so let me um (laughs) let me pray father we're so thankful for you and what you've done for us in christ and how you brought us together and that you are growing us in grace. 
You're growing us in wisdom and understanding and how, about how to live as unto you. And God, forgive us for the times that we're not thankful, for the times that we don't remember, that we forget the great lengths that you've gone to to show your love for us. The great lengths that you've gone to to forgive us of our callous rebellion. Lord, we want to be those who have thankful hearts and we want to be those who demonstrate it by how we love um, each other and how we love um, those who are made in your image who have not yet come to Christ. And I pray that you would give us wisdom and how to do that well. Be with us, I pray, as we go to the next service. Uh, Be with Philip. Uh, May your spirit speak through him to your church this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.